power on. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Whew. They can say I've lost my mind, but like the song says, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we designed, baby. Well, you better believe that that's what Sovereign Tech's all about. And... Well, <laughs> While I'm waiting, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the greatest showman, man. Uh, anyway, while I'm waiting for my update of Mortal Kombat 11, which has been going for about two hours now. <laughs> no, why don't we do some Sovereign Tech? No, you knew I was going to do it anyway. Uh, but wow, yeah, uh, Mortal, Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, that update is running hot. Uh, I will give a full review in an upcoming uh, gaming grid during a sovereign tech in the near future uh, as I break that down. But, you know, we don't we, we have a separate segment for gaming news. We have segments for everything. And that's not what the bulk of this show is about. This show is all about technology and how the hell to stay human when you're dealing with it. Woo! You know it. And well, it's, that's not all that it's about, but that's the thrust, right? Well, we've got a lot of interesting things to get into this week. Uh, very much a tech centric uh, show, but you got to love it. Like last week when we had the absolutely amazing, brilliant, stunning, wild Ellen Sovereign on. I mean, was that not an amazing time? And I love getting into those kind of conversations and uh, certainly on the controversial side, no doubt about that, and got some feedback from listeners about it uh, in a conversation that I'm sure we will continue because as the gist of that whole conversation went is that it's time to take the conversations around UAPs and so on seriously. But, you know, something else to take seriously. Uh, why don't we get into the foreplay here for the episode where we talk about all the little stories of what's going on, but this isn't exactly so little since it's dealing with what has become one of the largest platforms in the world veritably overnight. Granted, it really, it's been over a month or so uh, over a couple months, but in the tech world, you know, where certainly things can move at the speed of thought, but then also where, you know, something can instantly scale uh, within a year that, you know, in the grand scheme of things can be seen as overnight. And we are talking about none other than zoom. Now I would love to have a huge conversation around this because the zoom cocktail parties, 
drive me up the wall. And not only me, I know that uh, I have listeners and they have talked about it in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group uh, where they, which if you want to join that, and I mean, it is a hot and heavy group, baby. If you want to join that link is in the show notes all over the place and it'll take you right to it. Okay. All you got to do is have Telegram installed, hit that link in the show notes and bam, you're there. Uh, but I know a lot of you have basically been forced to go to these things and it's, <laughs> as one listener put it and, it, and he basically summed up exactly how I felt about it. If you are spending your, and I don't care what's going on in the world. Okay. I don't care what pandemic reality around that, whatever. I don't care. That doesn't matter the, the, the situation, right? If you are spending your Friday nights drunk in front of a webcam, baby, <laughs> it's time to think about things in life. Okay. I don't mean to psychologize, uh, but please. Okay. I am begging you to, to take a good hard look, not in the webcam, but in the mirror. All right. Anyway, that's not who we're, <laughs> and I mean, they're making these things mandatory. What, what the hell? Oh yeah. 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 Mandatory time in front of the web webcam. Kiss my fucking Hebrew ass. Not a chance. Oh, anyway. Uh, so, but zoom in, in efforts to, uh, uh, you know, clean up their far from squeaky clean reputation when it comes to, uh, security, cybersecurity. And I mean, geez, it's not like anything bad could happen when people are trashed in front of it using the software. Oh, oh. They have purchased for an undisclosed amount. The, 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 the details around this deal have, uh, have not been, um, have not been disclosed, at least not last I saw. And really this happened May 7th and certainly we're quite a few days away from that, but let's talk about it. Um, they have bought keybase.io. Now this is a, let's just say it out front. This is a shame on all fronts. Um, I don't blame the people behind Keybase for selling out. They probably got a pretty good penny out of this. I mean, I, I think they 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 made out very, very well. And look, I'm not going to begrudge somebody who's especially in these trying times who, you know, <laughs> who might want to cash out and get the fuck out. You know, I mean, if I, I, well, I'll just say it. If I wrote a really great encrypted, uh, uh, key store messaging and file sharing service, and somebody wanted to buy it out from underneath me, look, I don't say this to toot my own horn and I don't have to say it. I have listeners that'll tell you I'm the most principled guy I fucking know, but you better believe that I, I am. <laughs> I mean, when you have to deal, when you have to deal, you know, with, with the amount of, well, really shit that you get online or just with, I mean, I can't even imagine how many times, uh, uh, pick the alphabet soup organization for the government that probably knocked on Keybase's door, uh, you know, and bugs and coding issues and everything else. I mean, to want to, you know, I've always said this on the show, the true measure of success has nothing to do with the amount of zeros at the end of, uh, of the first number on your bank account. Okay. That isn't zero. <laughs> The true measure of success is, can you be permanently AFK? Can you be permanently away from keyboard? If you can, baby, you have made it in the modern world. 
And you think I, and I mean, absolutely. I would have, if it was me behind Keybase, I would have sold it out, but that doesn't mean that it's like a great thing. Okay. I'm just saying that I don't blame those, those cats. All right. This is clearly, and everybody instantly knew it. Oh, Zoom has had a bad month, bad couple of months as far as, because there was, there was that big uh, reveal that the Intercept did around concerns around uh, uh, Zoom's lack of security. Um, of course, we've talked about that over the years, that it's a major issue. It, it's not like it's necessarily something new. Um, and they have been taking varying steps to try and inspire some, uh, some confidence. I mean, again, they need to do it because I can tell you as somebody who has talked to major, major tech companies, okay, uh, they have it as part of their security policy that they cannot use, they refuse to use Zoom. And basically, you know, conversations have to be had using WebEx. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's any better, but you get my point, okay? So they're trying to fix the reputation. Buying Keybase, which has a, which does have a pretty squeaky clean reputation and, and a well-deserved one, um, in the cybersecurity privacy space. Yeah, that's a direction to go. Um, the unfortunate part is, is that it seems very much unlike say when Microsoft bought GitHub, um, Microsoft has basically left that alone, at least as far as it seems, you know, where they're, I mean, more or less Microsoft realized, um, holy shit, open source is the future. In fact, we might talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Because one of the uh, presidents, of course, how many does Microsoft have? But one of the presidents there uh, uh, had some very interesting words about Linux. But Microsoft bought GitHub basically under the auspices that, I mean, look, they were already a platinum donor to Linux Foundation. They're already uh, putting up, if they weren't putting out the most open source code of any of the tech giants, they were pretty close to being the top on that surprisingly for some reason, my memory wants to say it was Facebook that was putting out the most open source code, but I think Microsoft eventually bested them at that anyway. So it wasn't like they weren't making judicious use of it anyway. They just ended up buying it, but Microsoft has more or less come to realize what we've been saying since, of course, this is episode 376 of sovereign tech. I can't believe that we're going to be at episode 400 soon, but in episode 200, how long ago that was, how many years ago, uh, during episode 200, we said, look, open source is one. It's over. That battle is over. You know, people might not just might not realize it yet, but they've already conquered, you know, open source has already conquered the, the software space. Okay. Which we knew it would eventually. Um, that doesn't mean that we're home free as far as security and privacy by no stretch of the imagination, but open source ultimately is one. Um, and so, you know, for Microsoft to recognize that and basically to try and be, you know, ahead of the pack in that space, yeah, buying GitHub makes a shit ton of sense, right? But they've left it alone and let it more or less do its thing. Um, that is not true for, for Zoom as we understand it in relation to Keybase.io. Uh, Keybase apparently is only going to be, it, it's going to be all Zoom now. And this makes some sense on Zoom's part. I don't like it. I want a nice independent open source uh, option like Keybase out there for me to use. I mean, that was one of the very few last bastions of great instant messaging uh, setups that handled keys really, really well. And, and to my personal satisfaction, which is, which is pretty stringent. Um, 
But to implement that into Zoom, of course, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, are they going to put in, I mean, I don't know exactly that they're going to end up like having everybody share keys in a more public fashion, the way Keybase did, uh, but implementing maybe the file sharing and some other aspects and basically baking in the processes that Keybase, you know, has at least on the back end. Yeah, that's a smart move for Zoom. I'm, I'm not going to say that it isn't. It's just a shame that now to take advantage of what Keybase is doing, either you can be some kind of upstart, and I don't say startup. I mean, upstart isn't somebody being, startups aren't disruptive. Startups just want to get acquired. Uh, upstarts, and, and ironically, Keybase did get acquired, but upstarts are, you know, companies or little businesses or ideas or projects that really, really want to shake things up, uh, you know, I mean, and really shake it up. Keybase, I feel like was one of those, but anyway, so if somebody wants to take what Keybase is doing and come up with an independent version and there probably already is one, um, you know, great. Then maybe we don't have so much, uh, you know, to, to worry about on, on that end. And, and when I find out what that is, I'll certainly let sovereign tech listeners know because I've recommended Keybase for quite some time, uh, big fan. And now for it to more or less just fall away and everything get baked into zoom and who knows what they're going to try to do as far as, you know, actually not open sourcing shit and doing quite the opposite. That sucks. Uh, bottom line. So we, we really lost one of the best projects, um, on the internet, frankly, and we lost it to zoom, which is one of the worst things, uh, on, on the internet. I mean, regardless of how zoom is enabling so much, which I mean, well, never mind. We won't go there, but just how much, you know, business they are enabling and, you know, allowing for education and so on, which we had a conversation around what it's like to basically go to university uh, via Zoom. We we had Ellen on last week talking about that, which was, uh, I, I, you know, mind boggling to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, clearly they need to clear up their, their reputation. They need to clean it up. Uh, they need to be implementing some best practices. Keybase is certainly a best practice. I just, it's a shame to lose Keybase. You know, it, it, it really is. Uh, I don't see this. It's a winner for Zoom, but I don't see it as a winner for, you know, really for anyone else. Um, I was surprised to see apparently Jitsi is really going up in usage, which, you know, great. Okay. Talk about something, you know, a little more open source and, and, and so on. But uh, anyway, so that happened. I mean, what's the fallout from this? Again, we just, we don't have Keybase anymore and that sucks. Um, Moving on from that, speaking of things going virtual, uh, I don't know if they're going to use Zoom. I'm going to guess both of these uh, conferences will not. But in the long string of conferences that usually happen throughout the summer, uh, the announcements of them going fully digital or virtual, whatever term they want to use, Black Hat and DEF CON are both going to be, uh, they're both going to be hosted online. That is now confirmed. And apparently they've decided this for, uh, for some time now, black hat is still going to, I'm not, I'm not certain on the details of DEF CON, but I do know, do know for black hat, you still have to pay to attend. So even though you're not going to a physical space, you're still going to shell out, well, like a thousand dollars or something, you know, in August, uh, to view the whole event. And they're going to try, I know DEF CON is still trying to figure out how they're going to go about this. Like, cause they, they, they have training courses and everything. I haven't been to DEF CON in a long time. Um, depending on how this gets implemented online, I might quote unquote attend. Uh, we'll see how, how that works. I am going to be very curious what software 
that they use to stream and for the back end. And this is going to be a very interesting learning moment because certainly one of the toughest things to do, uh, you know, speaking of the open source space, I mean, actually even in closed source uh, video and streaming video in particular is incredibly difficult. Again, I, you know, we talk about this all the time in the show. People have no idea the amount of near, near wizardry that gets done on the back end with buffering and compression to make video over the internet thing. Um, I'm still baffled at how much like 4k gets pushed. And I mean, well, anyway, that that's a whole other conversation and I get conspiratorial around that. Not because 4k is some kind of mind control or something, but because I mean, okay, no, we're not going there. I mean, because 4k, I mean, the amount of data that that takes, it's a great way really for Comcast to jack up, you know, prices on you for how much you spend on your, your internet bill uh, every week. I mean, I, I fuck for it. It's a waste. I mean, you know, again, the human, the human eye can't even really process it. What, what the hell are you? Yeah, well, whatever. That That's another conversation. Um, but this will be interesting to see how black hat and DEF CON uh, handle the, the, the whole scenario really. Um, oh, look at this. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Into recording the episode, Mortal Kombat, 11, Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath has uh, has installed and it's booting up as we speak. Wow, there's the you are getting this live, folks. Uh, there, there's there's a splash screen. Um, th- this is probably going to be here forever, so I'm not going to talk about it this whole time. And I'm going to exit out and finish recording the fucking show because I'm a goddamn professional and the best at what I do. Yes, I am. Um, but you know, speaking of switching things up. Uh, as well, and not necessarily online, but got an interesting story shared to me in the Telegram group uh, that I actually think is worth uh, talking about a little bit. Well, and Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath just uh, loads up to the, oh, what's this? As I say, it just loads up to the menu. No, special crypt event number eight. Get a gold Chronica vault. Oh, 24 hours only. Woo, well, I'm going to have to get to that, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, it just goes to the menu. Well, we should be talking about that during the gaming grid. Let's talk about what, uh, what really matters here. Well, I don't know that it exactly really matters, but, uh, let's talk about Linus Torvalds boy. Uh, he has apparently officially he's after, I don't know if it's after 15 years, I don't think he's had the same computer for 15 years. So that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but he claims that he is now using an AMD processor and has switched away from Intel, uh, for the first time in 15 years. Now, uh, he's, they gave specifics as to what he's using. If you're the kind of person, you know, that, that, that falls a little bit of a cult of personality there, but, uh, it's the, uh, Ryzen Threadripper 3970X. That's pretty, I'm very familiar with that processor. That that's 32 cores there, baby. <laughs> nice work. Um, anyway, this came along with the, uh, announcement of Linux kernel 5.7 release candidate seven. and you know, him switching up to this, I mean, that does say something against Intel, right? Because Linux is clearly the future. Um, in fact, in our next little story during the foreplay, uh, I, I think there's a little something extra that points at that. Um, and we are definitely seeing, I think we are seeing the year of Linux. Uh, again, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but to find out that, well, maybe the hardware of choice for Linux isn't Intel, Um, that's bad news. In fact, actually it was interesting. So in the announcement, uh, Linus actually said he's using AMD basically for now until he switches to an arm based, uh, machine, which 
I don't know exactly when an arm based uh, machine is going to have the power of a thread ripper, you know, a 32 core thread ripper, but I guess at some point um, that, that might end up happening. I just, I don't know. I can't imagine it. I mean, I could see where an arm processor could claim to have 32 cores, but as far as it having the same, well, let's just say it balls as a thread ripper. Yeah. I don't know, but Regardless, um, he didn't give a whole lot of details as to why he switched away uh, from from Intel. Uh, I mean, historically, you know, and I've brought this up before, uh, Linus was using Fedora. Actually, I think a couple episodes we were talking about the newest version of Fedora or how Fedora was getting pre-installed um, in ThinkPads, which I thought was fantastic. And again, is pointing more at that, you know, finally, as many times as we said it over the seeming decades, <laughs> it is finally the year of Linux, uh, or of desktop Linux, I guess you could say really Linux is everywhere and people just don't know it. But regardless, um, he, he used Fedora for a really long time. And the only reason he was using Fedora wasn't because he necessarily thought it was the best version of Linux out there, even though I would argue it's, if it isn't, it's close. Um, I used it as my main for years, um, but it was because it was the only one that had regular updates that still supported the power PC, you know, processor architecture. So, you know, he's certainly slow to the take, yeah, to, to a new processor. And maybe he was just hoping that arm would get there quick enough. I mean, you got to understand that this points, this certainly points more at, um, you know, what Linus was saying about how he sees Linux as the future as well, but he sees Linux being the future in that it's a part of smartphones. Uh, it's a part of Chromebooks and so on. He doesn't necessarily see desktop Linux, right. As, as the future. So maybe he was holding out until he could really show that arm was the, was the stuff. I, I don't know what the, what the deal with is there. Certainly anything, you know, Linus does even little comments like this are as far as tech goes very political. I mean, they're not like electoral politics, but they're political in, in the dictionary definition of the term. Um, and they make a statement and that's why it's worthwhile to bring up. Um, but I, I think that this is, this is fantastic news. Well, for anyone besides Intel, right? And maybe it's because maybe he had concerns around Spectre, you know? Uh, he does, again, he doesn't go go into details. Um, but, I mean, I imagine Linus would, I mean, there's not too much to take away from this because granted, like I said, I imagine if it was still uh, being developed, Linus probably would have never left PowerPC. You know what I mean? So I, I just, I, I can't, anyway, it's great. I'm glad uh, Intel is one of those companies that, has definitely been having a rough time of things. And this certainly isn't helping because there's a lot of people. I mean, what's going to happen out of this? I guarantee it is that you're going to, you have so many, as we've talked about, you have so many uh, organizations, companies, governments, and so on that are switching away. Now that windows seven isn't being supported any longer uh, or more or less not being supported. Right. They are switching away from the upgrade cycle of windows 10 and they're all going to Linux, South Korea. I mean, you could go down the list, you know, it's not like it's, it's just developing countries or something like that. that are switching out it to save a buck. They're doing it to basically save their sanity. Okay. Because I mean, a rollout, if you've never been involved in a full windows enterprise rollout, you know, full upgrade, that is a, that is a nightmare that haunts you for the better part of a year it's, it's so bad. And if Linux and, and I, I've been there when companies not, I mean, 
So the companies I've been a part of where they have gone, you know, where they've done a full enterprise upgrade, you know, with windows. Um, I haven't been to ones where they've done an upgrade to Linux uh, to, you know, to their whole infrastructure. I haven't been there for that, but I've been with smaller companies and it's, it's generally been and in particular with Ubuntu. It's generally been pretty smooth now, not uninterestingly. And, and this is worth bringing up. Um, well, okay, wait, let me finish my last point. So companies that are doing that organizations that are, that are, you know, upgrading and it's a genuine upgrade, no matter which way you slice it to Linux. Okay. Uh, they're probably going to pay attention. So what is, uh, you know, what is the Linux foundation or what is, uh, what is the big guy over there use? What does Linus Torvalds use? Right. Um, I mean, I'll admit it myself. I'd love to know what, uh, hardware that Bill Gates uses. I, I'd, I'd be intrigued. Wouldn't you? You know, or even like Jeff Bezos, even though he's not behind, uh, I, I guarantee you he doesn't use a fire tablet. <laughs> he's not behind shit or as far as, as far as that goes. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of them would probably say, oh, he's using AMD. Well, we better use AMD, right? Because they're going to see that as this is what the kernel is getting natively developed on. So of course they're going to switch over to that. So, you know, there's a statement being made here and it, it kind of is uh, uh, news. Now, speaking of something, it, there's rumors and they are just rumors that when that Microsoft may be buying uh, Canonical, of course, who develop Ubuntu, right? Um, that would be, I would not be surprised. Uh, in fact, at, was it a build? Um, this is something else we have. I mean, I have an, I don't really, I wasn't going to talk about build, but I was going to talk about windows 10 is going to be updating to windows 10, 2004, which I, I still can't, I can't get enough. I just want to call it windows 2004. And I, I would have a, I, it'd be such a kick to just call it windows 2004 from now on, I guess for at least six months or so I get to, but <laughs> so if you hear me talk about windows 2004, you'd be like, wait, what's that? What's that? <laughs> you know? Because I, I miss, I, I've said this forever. Windows 2000, I still think was was the best overall version of Windows. I mean, yes, XP7, you know, I get the arguments there. Uh, and, and on a broader scale, broader sense, certainly could be considered, you know, the greatest versions of Windows, if you're to call Windows great of all time. Um, but I, I, man, did I love Windows 2000. So, you know, had that full NTFS, but was so sleek, you know, so simple. Mm. Anyway. So Windows 10 2004, uh, one of the things coming to this update is the, uh, well, is Windows subsystem for Linux 2, which got announced uh, earlier in the year. And this is effectively now going to allow for, you literally have, fully have Ubuntu, okay? Uh, the real Linux kernel inside Windows 10. And you're going to be, you could run Ubuntu full on in it, okay? With the real Linux kernel. And this will allow for you to natively run Linux apps on the windows desktop without it changing the overall UI. Uh, I mean, this is a pretty dramatic shift to, to, you know, to be looking at. And I still stand by the, the prediction that I've made for, Oh, probably four or five years now, really ever since windows 10 dropped is, is when I said this, when they said that this is the last version of windows, I think they had a little more meaning. I mean, yes, they want to get people into a subscription service. Like we talked about with Microsoft 365 to where that's how you get the latest and greatest updates. And it becomes a, uh, you know, you don't get everything in the operating system unless you pay for a Microsoft 365 account. I still think that's something happening. It's already happening in the enterprise space. 
uh, where there's a subscription model for windows 10. But like I predicted years ago is that when they say it's the last version of windows, I think that meant that, well, you know, windows is literally going to evolve and do, you know, and, and I, and we, we quoted the engineers from Microsoft who all said, yeah, windows becoming open source one day that that might happen. And I think that's going to happen. And this might be kind of a, an odd reversal where basically getting, you know, baking in more and more of Linux into windows eventually leads to where windows just becomes Linux. Right. <laughs> so, and you know, fine. I mean, l- let's put an end to that. And you know, I mean, one, you don't want to take this too far, but one could certainly go down the train of thought of the amount of what was the la- the last cumulative update for, for May 2020. It set some kind of record number of the amount of bugs that it fixed. It, it, I mean, it was insane. It was over 300. What the hell? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> ooh, uh, anyways, some stupid number, but. You having, I mean, this, this problem of where, you know, every update is constantly breaking things, constantly breaking things for consumers, not just an enterprise, but for your everyday consumer, people losing data and so on, you know, everything else going on, blue screens of death, you know, I mean, almost bricking uh, laptops. It's, it's insane. For them to more or less just run away from windows and, and have Microsoft effectively admit that, okay our kernel is just so unwieldy. I mean, we can't, we can't lock this thing down. We can't secure this thing anymore. Like we just can't, you know, (laughs) I, I, I think that admission might come down the line. Um, I was surprised one of the presidents, uh, Ben, or I, I forget his name, but he basically came out and said that on Twitter, uh, but he's one of the presidents of Microsoft. And he came out and said, we were on the wrong side. Um, of open source. We, we made a big mistake, you know, and, and not just that, but he also said we were on the wrong side with Linux. Like, I mean, they're, they're basically admitting to, you know, that, that, okay, no, Linux is, it's almost like they're saying Linux is the future. Um, So this is, you know, this is the direction that, that we're going here. Um, I do find it interesting. So some of the features for windows 10, 2004, not a huge update really at all. Uh, but it does point at a few things. Um, one is, and, and I applaud this because we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Um, there are improvements to the notification area where you're going to be able to just completely turn off notifications. Finally, you know, not even a white mark down there. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> not that I use windows that often anyway, but fucking a, like when I am using it, I don't, I know there's no operating system where I want notifications. Not, frankly, not even on my smartphone. I'm just not interested. Um, sp- speaking of phone though, uh, they are making it now possible to where you can make phone calls. Uh, if you have the, what is it? The, your phone companion or your PC companion app on iOS or Android. And I think it's true for iOS and Android. I know that app exists for both, but if you have the, the desktop app installed, um, it will allow you to make phone calls from your computer. That's actually a pretty nice touch. Um, because I find, I mean, my microphone setup obviously as a podcaster is far superior connected to my uh, computers than it is to my smartphone, which often has horrible voice quality. And it's not because it's a shitty smartphone or anything of the sort. Um, even though I wouldn't mind if it was, because you know, shitty smartphone, that, that, that's a feature, not a bug, baby. <laughs> so, 
but uh, uh, that, that's a nice touch and something that I feel like actually Google really dropped the ball on on back because they, you know, Hangouts used to have a lot of those features built in that Microsoft is really putting into the Your Phone app. Um, I think those are winning moves on Microsoft's part, uh, and it's certainly about getting business done, right? Um, so I get that. Of course, we talked about Windows Subsystem or WSL2. That's what they're calling it, right? Linux 2. Uh, then we have Cortana. Now, Cortana is getting interesting. And this is something where I have also had heavy predictions around Cortana that Cortana would effectively one day be the operating system that you're dealing with. Now, Microsoft has significantly scaled back their seeming support for Cortana, but they're making some changes here that I find interesting. Now, one thing that happened that we didn't talk about was Microsoft uh, ended their partnership. Was it a month or two ago with Amazon? I don't think we got to cover this on the show. Um, but that was something where Cortana was supposed to be able to access Alexa and vice versa. Of course, I can't imagine who would do vice versa, but regardless, that was possible. Um, I don't think that's possible anymore. But now Cortana has a lot of new personalization features that are only available with your personal Microsoft account, not your work account, not your office account, but your personal account. And I think this might have, this might play into there. There could be a conversation to be had around this, but I need to see it in action to, to really grasp, um, you know, what they have, uh, in mind, in mind here, but they are stripping Cortana out of windows search, uh, more so. I mean, they've already been doing that pretty heavily. Um, but I, I think that that's, that's fine too. Uh, they're trying to improve, uh, pairing with Bluetooth, making that a little simpler, um, as well as uh, virtual desktop improvements. I mean, there's a lot of little things going on in, in Windows 10 2004. I expect it to drop. I think they're saying within the next couple of weeks, that's some predictions that I've heard. Um, you, probably not a bad idea to not rush and get that improvement. I mean, and there's nothing really here to make you want to do that unless somehow you're really excited about WSL2. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's it's not not the most exciting thing in the world. And I mean, they don't even bother to like come up with the really cool names anymore. Something happened there. And I think it also points more at that. They are really trying to downplay the importance of windows. That's not a controversial statement for me to make. We know they've been trying to do that for quite some time. Um, and we've talked about it before, but this is, I think, adding on to that, that these, these major, these two major updates, which were originally touted as being almost all new operating systems that you were getting every time that you, you installed it, uh, as they become less and less innovative, uh, maybe we'll call it that. I, I think it points that they're just trying to make windows more or less an afterthought. And you know what we go back to our conversation about Microsoft 365 to see what that's going to end up looking like uh, in the future. That was just a few episodes ago. So, that's what we've got for the foreplay. Got some other great stories to get into throughout the next hour and a half of Sovereign Tech action. I'll be right back with more. Woo! Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. 
We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside. And not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. It is time for the main story, uh, and this is one, actually, I guess I teased a couple of these stories, frankly, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a couple of episodes ago anyway, and so we're finally going to get into them, but I think that they're important to discuss. They are still relevant um, and have some very broad ramifications, both our main story and what we're going to get into for HackSec. Um, but for our main story, this was originally published on, well, my birthday, actually, May 12th, 2020. Woo, 39 years old, baby. Feeling good. Actually, feeling better than I've ever felt. Uh, <laughs> literally, bigger, stronger, faster, smarter. <laughs> my, well, if I do say so myself. But I don't have to say so myself. I'm sure I could get someone else that would tell me that. But uh, regardless, <laughs> I got to stop. I just got to see. Smart. I'm faster. No, I got to slow down. <laughs> If you had any idea, I mean, how does a guy do this, right? Two hours a week, every week I am pounding it. I mean, well, okay. Now if, I was, if I'm pounding it, I mean, I can do that for more than two hours. I'm going to stop. I got to stop. <laughs> I have too much fun in life. All right. Uh, so anyway, this is again from uh, May 12, 2020. And this is from none other than fellow triple black wearing anarchist, Pavel Durov, the CEO of, uh, of Telegram. Um, yes, he is an anarchist for those that, that didn't know. Um, I mean, it's, and it's not uninteresting. In fact, oh man. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about the, the signal pins. Uh, we'll have to save that for the next episode, but basically the top two, and I know people have arguments around the encryption with telegram, please. I know. Okay, great. Let's move on. Uh, I'm not saying they're not serious. I'm just saying, yeah. Ooh. Uh, so telegram and, uh, you know, and signal are both run by anarchists. Uh, and I, I think that in fact, a lot of people who would not consider themselves anarchists at all, uh, applaud the fact and are happy that anarchists runs, run those platforms because that makes them inherently anti-government and look folks in some parts of the world or hell, even in the parts of the world that we're in right now and triple, uh, you know, or ice planet zero is right in the United States for now. I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> you want actual privacy uh, from the powers that be. And I love it because <laughs> it's almost this, I mean, I don't ever expect, I don't want to get lost in the philosophical here, but of course, Pavel Duroff will um, in what we talk about here, because this has to do with Telegram and blockchain. But I love the fact that even status basically now admit the need. It's like, okay, yeah, we don't want to be anarchists, but boy, are we glad you're out there. <laughs> now I can't say the opposite, right? I can't say as myself as an anarchist that, gee, I'm glad those, those statists are out there, but it, it's just ironic, right? It's almost a quiet admission that anarchism is right. But regardless, let us move on and let's talk about what Pavel Durov had to talk about on May 12th this year. 
Uh, and here's the headline for it. What was ton? What or what was ton and why it is over? And of course, ton is T-O-N. It's an acronym uh, or well, it might not be an acronym, but yeah, it is telegram. Regardless, let's read it for the last 2.5 years. This is Pavel Durov talking. Uh, some of our best engineers have been working on a next generation blockchain platform called ton and a cryptocurrency. We were going to name Graham. Uh, Ton was designed to share the principles of decentralization pioneered by Bitcoin and Ethereum, but to be vastly superior to them in speed and scalability. We were very proud with the result. The technology we created allowed for an open, free, decentralized exchange of value and ideas. Boy, it sounds like Kevin Flynn, doesn't it? Anyway, when integrated with Telegram, Ton had the potential to revolutionize how people store and transfer funds and information. Unfortunately, a U.S. court stopped Ton from happening. How? Imagine that several people put their money together to build a gold mine and to later split that gold that comes out of it. Then a judge comes and tells the mine builders, quote, many people invested in the gold mine because they were looking for profits and they didn't want that gold for themselves. They wanted to sell it to other people. Because of this, you are not allowed to give them gold. End quote. If this doesn't make sense to you, you are not alone. But this is exactly what happened with Tun the mine in that, that example, it's investors in grams, the gold in that example, a judge used this reasoning to rule that people should not be allowed to buy or sell grams like they can buy or sell bitcoins. Uh, you know, I guess I'm old school. I didn't think there was an S at the end of the plural Bitcoin, but okay. Anyway, uh, perhaps even more, uh, paradoxically, the U S court declared that grams couldn't be distributed, not only in the United States, but globally. Why? Because it said a U.S. citizen might find some way of accessing the ton platform after it launched. So to prevent this, grams shouldn't be allowed to be distributed anywhere in the world, even if every other country on the planet seemed to be perfectly fine with ton. The court decision implies that other countries don't have the sovereignty to decide what is good and what is bad for their own citizens. If the U.S. suddenly decided to ban coffee and demand coffee shops in Italy be closed because some American might go there, we doubt anyone would agree. And yet, despite that, we have made the difficult decision not to proceed with ton. Sadly, the U.S. judge is right about one thing. We, the people outside the U.S., can vote for our presidents and elect our parliaments but we are still dependent on the United States when it comes to finance and technology. Luckily, not coffee. The U.S. can ban use uh, or can the U.S. can use its control over the dollar and the global financial system to shut down any bank or bank account in the world. It can be used to con uh, it can use its control over Apple and Google to remove apps from the App Store and Google Play. So, yes, it is true that, in fact, Stallion breaking in Telegram has had specifically to deal with that where um, Apple at one point wasn't allowing for updates to telegram. Uh, they didn't delist it, but they just kept it from getting updated. And, you know, you know what it's like with the amount of features that telegram uh, releases on the regular, you could be behind the times on some pretty cool shit and useful shit at that, for that matter. Uh, reading on, unfortunately, um, or let's see. So yes, it is true that other countries do not have full sovereignty over what to allow on their territory. Unfortunately, we, the 96% of the world's population living elsewhere, are dependent on decision makers elected by the 4% living in the U.S. This may change in the future, but today we are in a vicious circle. You can't bring more balance to an overly centralized world exactly because it's so centralized. We did try, though. 
we're leaving it to the next generation of entrepreneurs and developers to pick up the banner and learn from our mistakes. I am writing this post to officially announce that Telegram's active involvement with Ton is over. You may see or may have already seen sites using my name or the Telegram brand or the Ton abbreviation to promote their projects. Don't trust them with your money or data. No present or past member of our team is involved with any of these projects. While networks based on the technology we built for Ton may appear, we won't have any affiliation with them and are unlikely to ever support them in any way. So be careful and don't let anyone mislead you. I want to conclude this post by wishing luck to all those striving for decentralization, balance, and equality in the world. You are fighting the right battle. This battle may well be the most important battle of our generation. We hope that you succeed where we have failed. So there's a lot to break down in that. Um, do I think that Pavel Duroff's genuine? Do I think that really the reason that they're not um, going forward with Ton and the Gram is because of a U.S. court decision? I'll admit that's a little hard to believe, that that's exactly what's behind that, that there isn't a more, shall we say, extenuating circumstances going on here. Um, because, I mean, Telegram has been tried. I mean, Telegram by the company that uh, operates and develops Telegram moves regularly from country to country. Like they jump around and they do so to avoid the law. Okay. Um, now granted, you know, with enough desire on the part of the U S government, you know, it really doesn't matter. I, in my opinion, it doesn't matter where telegram jumps to, they're going to get in trouble. Okay. Or, you know, if, if the government wants to shut them down, they'll end up getting shut down. Um, but because of that, that flouting, and like I said, I think Pavel Durov, or I don't think um, it's been stated, I mean, that he is an anarchist. You know, he shouldn't care, right? And I, and I really, really, really get that. Is it too much heat? You know, is, are the legal battles effectively going to bankrupt uh, to where Telegram can't exist? Uh, I mean, because let's appreciate for a moment, regardless of any concerns you have around security, let's appreciate for a moment that Telegram is a worldwide uh, feature rich. And I mean, fucking rich feature, rich platform, messaging platform, file sharing platform that is not ad based at all. And that is, is not ad funded. That's fucking remarkable because ads are, you want to talk about a security concern and a privacy concern. Oh, let's talk about ads and targeted ads, but ads are a problem in and of themselves. And he's able to do this because, you know, again, Pavel Durov made his fortune with VK, right? And, you know, and, and did well there. And who knows other ways, maybe he made his fortune. But regardless, you know, VK is certainly the public facing one. And so he can afford to just more or less have this run and, and operate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is, is it a matter of, well, you know, if we kept going forward with Ton and Graham, you're not going to, there's a chance you're going to lose Telegram. I mean, hey, maybe that, maybe that would have ended up happening. I don't know. Um, but I mean, I'm just speculating here on all of that, but the real story here, in my opinion, is that if telegram, if, if Pavel Durov can't do it, okay, because what ton was going to try and be was this decentralized internet, right? I mean, it was going to go so far as like, say made safe or, um, you know, retro share and all these where it was going to create, you know, more of a blockchain based. I mean, Hey, look, I'm, I'm all, all Bitcoin baby, you know, and, and 
I'm not, I don't even appreciate that he mentioned Ethereum. There was no need to even let that out of your breath, but whatever. Okay. I'm not saying that the gram uh, would have really been a genuine improvement or that you should have invested in it or whatever. Certainly what they were thinking about doing with ton was a very interesting idea. Are these all ideas that can eventually get baked into Bitcoin? Yes, maybe. Okay. Happy. All right. But bottom line is that if ton can't do it, or if, if, if telegram, if Pavel Durov cannot, uh, or finds that, that finds that there are just such and so many challenges, whether they are technical, legal, whatever around creating a genuinely peer to peer decentralized, maybe blockchain based, however they want it, whatever terms they want to use, uh, internet, you know, as an interconnected network that allows you to do all the things that you imagine doing on the internet, not just transacting value like, like Bitcoin does. I know Bitcoin can do more lightning network. Woo. I'm on with you. Okay. But if he can't get that off the ground, I have, I'll just say it. I have absolutely no faith in any company claiming that they're going to, because this is a guy that has all the right motivations, plenty of money, right? He also, uh, you know, has, has, well, I said motivations, but he, I think he has a lot of the right philosophies. I'm not going to say all, but I think he has a lot of the right philosophies. A lot of, you know, he knows why this needs to be done. He understands the ethical philosophical implications of the technology that he was developing with ton. And if he feel now, I mean, Hey, maybe, you know what happened here? Maybe he just, they realized it isn't technically feasible and that, but the, the result, if that's the situation that they just found out, well, shit, this is too hard. The resulting conclusion is the same. And that is, this can't be done. Not on a scale to where it's something usable by a large group of people. Okay. Now, when you start breaking things down, I mean, all kinds, you know, you guys always have to consider at scale, right? Because when you start coming up with ideas and you want to implement things, um, you know, between uh, five to 150 people, that creates a lot more feasibilities than when you're doing 5,000 to 150 million people, right? And maybe... Maybe Duroff discovered, well, you know, that 5,000 to 150 million people or the 5 billion people or whatever number, this shit's just too hard. Yeah. And will somebody brilliant come around? You know, will we have some modern day Nikola Tesla that will figure out how to create a decentralized internet? Maybe, maybe. But right now, as it stands, that's how I feel about it. If Telegram, and, it, and it, it's depressing. I don't like saying it. This is something I've been pushing for, for since the beginning of the show, since Cybertech started almost a decade ago. But look, if, you know, again, if Duroff can't do it and, and I mean, telegram in general, he, he, I'm not saying he is like this brilliant person that, you know, brilliant coder or something, but the people underneath him, you know, if they can't figure this out, if they can't get this off the ground, I heavily debate anyone else's abilities to do so. Really. Um, and, and I just, I don't see any real viable projects as, as far as that goes. Now, does that mean we don't have alternative tools that we want to use? No, of course we use Tor. I mean, we could go down the list and, you know, th great. Okay. And, but maybe we got to take a good, I mean, because a lot of us have really been pushing for this whole concept of the decentralized internet. I think we might need to rethink 
what is possible and what we can do right now. And right now is the time to do it. 10 years ago was the time to do it. We need to rethink what that looks like. And maybe we'll explore some of that on Sovereign Tech. But I'll tell you, do not. This is my warning to you. Okay, just like Pavel Durov warned, hey, if somebody says they're they're building their tech on ton, um, maybe it is ton tech, but but don't don't you you know we can't recommend that you necessarily trust them or whatever. My warning to you is Brian Sovereign. Is any company espousing that they are creating a decentralized internet and so on? I would not get too excited, and I would be very cautious with your support, especially financial support. Okay. If they are saying that somehow they're going to create a decentralized internet for the billions of people on planet earth. Now, if they're talking about, well, we have this idea of how we're going to implement things for five to 250 people or something like that. Okay. That's different. But we've got some electroplated dreams is going around and we've got to be really cautious about them. And the fact that this I mean, you already, you already had the user base, like you, everything, you know, people say, well, it's because of a network effect. You got 500 million users of telegram. You got plenty of network effect. You know, that's what I'm saying is that if anybody could have done this, it would have been them. And if they're saying they can't, regardless of what the actual reasons are, if it's just because of this court ruling or what, if they can't do it, you got to wonder if anyone ever can. So, and that, again, we'll keep an eye on this, but just keep your expectations in check for, for anyone else talking about this. Okay. Anyway, I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. With the suddenness of a snapping finger, a whole town dies, almost without a trace. Even if you slit a person's throat, you won't get death this fast. Almost without a clue, except... Except for a six-month-old baby and a 60-year-old derelict. They have faced the Andromeda strain and survived. But will anybody else? The Robert Wise production of the most incredible bestseller of the decade. The Andromeda Strain. 130 minutes of intense excitement. 96 of the most critical hours in world history. Suspense to last a lifetime. The Andromeda Strain. Please note, no one will be seated during the last 10 minutes. Rated G, but may be too intense for younger children. The Andromeda Strain, from Universal. Issues of privacy security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. It is time for HackSec. I know what you're saying, but Brian, RetroShare can do all of it. You recommend RetroShare. Why don't we use that? Yeah, get people to use RetroShare in the modern world. I mean, even I can't necessarily always use it because... Like it just kills my laptop battery, you know, and if I'm on the go shit again, I mean, I get the network effect is a very real thing. And that's why I was fairly excited, not really about the gram, but more about, you know, the, 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 the decentralized, more blockchain based internet, uh, you know, peer to peer internet that, that was getting, uh, developed or at least was starting to, I mean, again, maybe the reality here is that it was just all hogwash, but like I said, that still basically says, Okay, no one could figure it out because I mean, if you could figure it out, why not do it? I, anyway, 
So let, 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 let's move on from that. And let's, let's talk up HackSec here. Uh, got a story. This actually also got shared, speaking of Telegram, in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group. Do you, do you hear me that I'm also supportive of Telegram? Okay. All right. As long as there's no confusions here uh, or no, no confusion. This is from uh, Abacus News by uh, Masha Borak. And this is actually from February of 2020, which makes it a little more interesting because mask wearing due to COVID-19 didn't really, I, I don't think really picked up until frankly, beginning of May, like end of April, beginning of May is when there was this, uh, you know, when basically the U S government, uh, did a complete 180, saying before, no, you don't need masks. Oh, yep. Now, now we need masks. Now I have been, and we've, we've had conversations around masks really a couple times on this show already, just in the past month. Um, I have been on the side of, yeah, go ahead and wear a mask. And even if you think, cause I know there are people out there who think this way. Okay. That if you think, well, the, the COVID-19 either it's, you know, look, it, it's, it's no different than the flu or it doesn't. Some people want to go so far as to say it doesn't even exist. Okay. Uh, you know, or, or that the, the fear mongering is just that it's fear mongering and it's overblown, you know? I mean, I, I got to tell you, I do worry about people like that because it, it smacks of the kind of people, I mean, and believe me, I've heard this. I've heard this at libertarian conferences. You understand where I get people that tell me, oh, the government's lying about cigarettes. They're not bad for you. I've heard those words and, and, and people fall into, I mean, it's a logical fallacy. You fall into this thing. Well, just because the government says it, well, it must not be true. Are, are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, there's no way that any, 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 uh, and I know that oh, that's not exactly an argument to say any rational person, but whatever, any rational person could possibly say that about every little fucking thing that the government happens to say, the opposite is always true. Give me a fucking break. No cigarettes are bad for you, motherfucker. Anyway, so hopefully people aren't falling under it because of that logic. But point being, I've been on the side of wearing masks for many reasons. Um, I mean, even if it's not necessarily health concerns, I mean, look, and you got to understand that in the United States, I mean, this is one of the few places where not wearing a mask is normal, right? I mean, in, in many other parts of the world, wearing a mask is either seen as perfectly normal um, or even order of the, like totally regular, like it's abnormal if you're not. And well before COVID-19 was the thing. So, or at least particularly within cities, which, what does that tell you about cities? And I don't just mean, oh, it's because the cities there are so industrial and so bad. Uh, all right. Get over your American exceptionalism. Really? If you think your cities are somehow just magically better for you. That's another conversation for another time. So I've been supportive of wearing masks. One of the reasons being is that it thwarts facial recognition. I, you know, software, I think that that's dynamite, but story here from February is uh, titled does, or let's see the, the headline is does facial recognition work with face masks? The, the, the subheader is wearing a mask won't stop facial recognition anymore. Uh, let's read a little bit of this. 
Um, the, the coronavirus is prompting facial recognition companies to develop solutions for those with partially covered faces. If you've been walking around your city recently, believing that the face mask you wear, uh, to protect you from the coronavirus is also fooling facial recognition cameras. then we have bad news for you. Facial recognition is evolving. New forms of facial recognition can now recognize not just people wearing masks over their mouths, but also people in scarves and even with fake beards. And the technology is already rolling out in China because of one unexpected event, the coronavirus outbreak over the last several weeks. Uh, well, anyway, we don't have to talk about that. Uh, this technology isn't new Stanford university postdoctoral fellow, uh, Armarjat Singh and his team published research, uh, on disguised face identification, which is known as DFI in 2017, their algorithm made a breakthrough in recognizing people wearing eyeglasses, fake beards, scarves, and hard hats. Quote, face recognition identifies a person by locating several key points on the face and connecting them together to form a unique person-specific signature, end quote, Singh explained. These key points are usually around the eyes, nose, and lips, but facial recognition systems developed by Singh and others are able to recognize masked people by getting enough key points from just the eyes alone. Quote, although it would be less accurate, a match can still be established, end quote, Singh said. When the work was originally published, Singh te Singh's team descri uh, described disguised face identification as extremely challenging. Uh, anyway, they, they get into some details around that. But now we have another company getting involved. Uh, SenseTime, which announced the rollout of its face mask-busting tech last week, again, this is from February of 2020, explained that its algorithm is designed to read 240 facial feature key points around the eyes, mouth, and nose. It can make a match just using the parts of the face that are visible. Generally speaking, the more key points the algorithm can include, the better the results. But there are also other factors involved. Yufei Wei, chief marketing officer of facial recognition company Kingfei Technologies, explained that a facial recognition system doesn't necessarily need more data, but it does need more accurate data. Quote, there will be a more specific algorithm designed to recognize and match the special database, end quote, Wei said. Researchers from the University of, uh, of Bradford, led by Professor Hassan Ugel, improved their facial recognition model by feeding it with partial facial images and achieved 90% correction identification. A similar trick was applied by another Chinese facial recognition company that claims it can now recognize people with masks um, or, you know, wearing masks. Now, real quick, okay, there's a couple points to, dis to discuss on this. There's more to the story. You can read it, but there's not much more. Um, this is a, a claim. Okay. And it's probably a best case claim. Okay. I mean, certainly this is something that would make news and we want people to report around it anyway, but a lot of these technologies are being developed for a couple of reasons. One is, is that for a private company to sell it to, to governments. Okay. Because governments are always against you, right? Yes, they are. Um, and, or it's for universities or colleges or, you know, educational institutions to get more grant funding to continue their research or something along those lines. So there's a monetary incentive involved here. Okay. As to, you know, as to why this is, uh, you know, generally being done and why they want to be able to report high success rates. Now, frankly, if facial recognition, and we know that it is, if it were off by even just a few percentage points, it should be laughed out of court. It should be laughed out of, out of the room because generally the arguments for using these has to do with either state security, uh, you know, or, or security of, uh, I mean, even if you want to say like with uh, an iPhone, right. With facial recognition on that, with face ID, 
Maybe it's, you know, it's to secure your iPhone. Well, you might have your Bitcoin wallet on that iPhone, right? Uh, and I don't think you'd want, you know, to protect your Bitcoin. Granted, you shouldn't be, uh, you know, storing uh, large amounts on a hot wallet like a smartphone. You know, use Trezor, folks. But if you did, I mean, that that's scary. And I mean, and, and we don't understand. And it's so funny, too, because I, I know a lot of, uh, especially like Bitcoin types or financial types that are in the libertarian space and anarchist space who are really hot on the idea that really everything, all of our financial transactions, you know, we shouldn't be using credit cards anymore. We shouldn't be using anything, anything like that. We shouldn't even have identifying documents with us. We should have all of that baked into a smartphone, right? We should only be carrying around a smartphone. I have heard these arguments. I've seen them said with a straight face. Now, as genuinely not secure as the smartphone is, as a platform, and it only gets worse as people somehow think that biometrics are somehow better for them, regardless of the multitude of percentage points in which these things have to operate to be able to work. For example, your fingerprint reader, your fingerprint reader has to run basically at 70% efficiency to allow for you to open your phone up quickly, right? To get access quickly, because you're not always going to press your thumb on the, uh, you know, say on the uh, fingerprint reader in the perfect position to get a perfectly accurate uh, snap of, you know, of your print. Okay. So they make them with inefficiencies built in and that's by design for it to work. Like what does Apple say? Like magic. Woo. That's a problem. Okay. <laughs> that's strike one against biometrics. So there's, there's plenty of strikes, you know, they're going to lose the whole baseball game here. Okay. But there's plenty of strikes to go, but that, that is one of the problems. Face ID probably has to operate under somewhat similar auspices, I would argue, but regardless, they can still be wrong. You cannot afford to have these things wrong when it comes to having your ID and your fine, your finances accessible. Okay. You're identifying information and that needs to be secure and your finances, which I would argue needs to be secure. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's completely unacceptable. Now people say, well, it's more, uh, you know, that that's better than, than more secure than cash or credit cards. You know, people can just read on that. Well, credit cards are kind of solving that right where they just put the information on the back of it so that you have, uh, you know, the, the front of it is basically blank. And I mean, I, I we're going to talk about the masks more, but I just want to bring this point up. Cause I was thinking about this the other day while I was walking around, you know, Ellen and I, we walk around town and, and we like to joke with ourselves and I mean, actually it's very serious, but you know, it's, it's funny for us because we're so goddamn proud of it. And you bet your ass we are that we walk around without carrying our smartphones. Um, I think that's a very good thing. Now I remember when I first moved to New Hampshire that you had a lot of activists here. Okay. That were really hot on not carrying identifying information with you because you know, unless you're driving a car, you don't have to carry your license around with you. You shouldn't need it anywhere else by law. And I mean, I remember the videos that would get taken, you know, where the cop is asking for, can I see your ID? And somebody's just walking around. They're like, no, I'm just walking around. I don't need an ID and you're not going to take it from me. You're, you're you know, you're not going to get it from me. And I thought, I mean, for what it was, I was like, yeah, right on baby. That's great. But now the, I guarantee you these same people are walking around with for lack of a better term, an ident an ID orgy in their pocket, which is exactly what that, that fondle slab, what that, that block of sensors is. I mean, 
No, you don't have to carry around your, you don't have to carry around your, uh, your, your license anymore. You don't have to carry around shit. Sure. But then also, you know, authorities and who knows who else, um, I mean, they're all bad, but you know, <laughs> who knows who else has instantaneous access to your information, especially if you're using biometrics, you know, just bop you over the head, put your finger on it. Right. That's not security folks. So, but I mean, it blows my mind that people used to be so hot about not sharing their identifying information, but they have no qualms now about carrying around their smartphone, which is IDing them six ways a Sunday, every second. Give me a break. So, um, this technology is flawed and it should be laughed out. Now, have they figured out a way to do better facial, uh, you know, face ID or facial recognition while you're still wearing a mask? Yeah, I believe that's accurate. They probably have figured out a way that that system is somehow better. And that is important to know about. Okay. Now let's be clear here though. And, and even in the story, they talk about it, that this doesn't, they haven't really figured out to where this works very well at a large scale, like with a large scale database, because this is the flip side that they're not and the story doesn't even necessarily get into this, but I, I know how this works. Okay. The flip side of this is, yeah, we need more accurate data. Okay. You need more accurate data. You need more points to be able to recognize so, so that you can see, say just from the eyes. So you can reckon, have facial recognition just from the eyes because the face is covered. Rest of the face is covered with a mask. The thing is, is that you also need, you know, the more, the more faces you add to a database that that database compares to these different points, the more confused that the software actually gets. So this is only working really well on smaller databases right now. Does that mean it's not going to work when it gets to larger databases? No, it probably will. And one could go so far if you want to, if you want to get a little saucy, one could go so far as to that. Oh, actually, yes, everybody wear a mask at all times. And I mean, and it's, it's, it's not unironic that like every building now, even the grocery stores are basically saying we request, I mean, they don't order you, but we request that you wear a mask while you shop here, et cetera. Okay. Uh, now all of that in, in all of these buildings, there are, you know, and they're not generally not closed circuit, right? There are internet connected surveillance systems. Okay. And also, I mean, people walking around, taking pictures of themselves, wearing masks and everything. I mean, I've, we've talked about in the past on sovereign tech where the reason that say Microsoft or Amazon or Apple or go to whatever tech giant you want, the reason that they give you free photo storage with your phone or why Google does this, right? Google, hell, they give you unlimited for free, uh, uh, photo storage. Yes. They say, well, we only save the, the, uh, the SD versions, right? The standard definition versions. No, that's all that they let you access. You think they don't keep the HD versions? Of course they do. And they are feeding it into their recognition algorithms or whatever algorithm they want to put it into search algorithms, etc. Okay. They do that because it's improving their own, their own product and their own algorithms. Okay. It's not, it's not for your benefit. It's for theirs that they give you free. Yes. They give us all the photos they want. Now, are they doing the inverse where, okay, yeah, now we can get a ton. We can get millions and billions of photos of people wearing masks. And now we can improve something like sense time where, okay, now we have a database where we can compare the pictures that they gave us previously, because all those pictures are, have an idea of who you are or what IP they came from, et cetera. Okay. And they can compare and contrast. And now that database can have more precision and they absolutely can. I mean, it, it's, it's a sneaky roundabout way of getting how they can, of, of figuring out how they can identify you with their algorithms, uh, with their facial recognition algorithms. 
with you still wearing a mask. And I imagine that that's the direction that this is going. It's to improve that database. Like they, they love that you're wearing a mask now. Quite, you know, it's, it's not the other way around. Now, is this all to say, don't wear a mask? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. Um, because obviously, I mean, this is where this is almost a catch 22. It's almost a damned, damned if you do damned, if you don't. Right. But I would argue the benefits, not even having to argue health. Okay. But the benefits of wearing a mask and getting people getting used to, all right, you preserving your privacy and identity, even to the extremes of a mask, which again is, you know, not wearing a mask is largely only strange in some European countries and maybe in America and other parts of the world. That's still wildly common in other parts of the world. You actually wear a mask or a bandana or something over your face all the time because you don't want to be swallowing sand all day. It's only weird in certain countries. Okay. Um, but this has been a part of a way that people had, you know, preserved their, their privacy and preserved, uh, one could argue their dignity and so on. I mean, basically I'm saying is that let's still push forward with masks, even if algorithms can best them, which right now they can't do it that well. Or even if it's meant to basically feed the algorithm with pictures of us wearing masks and, you know, contrasting and comparing, okay. And then allowing them to get better at it because in the everyday, you know, as far as like other people not being able to recognize you and so on. I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm just that much of the loner. I mean, I'm not really a loner. I don't like being alone. I like having people with me. Uh, granted, I, you know, I'm not uh, an extrovert by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I, I do like being left alone, you know, and, and, and I think there's even really, you know, an advantage there, you know, where it can just kind of send the message of, yeah, you know, let, let, let the person be, let the person be blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you know, in, in scenarios where it might matter, it's still going to preserve your privacy from, you know, maybe it's not going to thwart a camera. It's not going to thwart facial recognition algorithms, but it will thwart the everyday person and maybe some not so everyday persons that you'd want to thwart for whatever reason that you might consider important. And so with that said, again, I still think wearing a mask and normalizing mask wearing is a fine and dandy thing. And, you know, speaking of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> every time Eldon and I are going to the store or whatever, and we're putting our masks on, as soon as I put the mask, she puts a mask on, I put it, I just instantly say, Sub-Zero, Scorpion. <laughs> I mean, come on, they look cool. You know, if you do it right, and I mean, some of the masks that these companies are selling, they look fantastic. It's, <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, you can't put a price on cool factor. Not really. So yeah, normalize it, still normalize it. Even if this is happening, I mean, and, and it is, and it's important to be knowledgeable of it and know it, that it's not going to this. It may not necessarily block you from facial recognition. Um, and I know there are people who have been, I mean, there's whole industries that have, or, you know, like clothing companies that have been working on making clothing that's supposed to thwart, uh, not just facial recognition. What, what's, what is that? There's the one company adversarial fashion, I think it's called where like they make clothes that have like a bunch of pictures of license plates or whatever on them. And it's all meant to fuck with license plate cameras. I mean, I think those are great ideas and we can keep going forward with that. Um, you know, have some, you know, manage our expectations as far as that goes. But again, I, this is still a situation with mask wearing because we've had this conversation a couple of times. Like I said, even with this, 
I still think that the positives outweigh the negatives as far as wearing masks. So I'm going to keep doing it even after the COVID-19 scare may be over. And I say may, uh, why not? You know, I'm I'm all about looking cool too. So (laughs) along with the other benefits. Anyway, we'll be right back with some more sovereignty. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr-Avon. Kerr-Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. Your questions, the man of tomorrow's answers. Email questions at sovereigntech.com. Time for important messages. It is time for important messages. And, you know, another great way to ask me questions is actually in the telegram group, like I'd mentioned earlier. And, uh, that, that I, it's not in the intro, but that happens a lot. And in fact, this week's question, um, does come out of that. And it was, I mean, there was a lot to the question. There were, there were a lot of different parts. It was a question worthwhile to ask of me and it's come up before, and I've never gotten to a really updated version uh, of discussion in, uh, when I used to do the Q and A's, but, uh, this is certainly a subject near and dear to my heart. And it has to do with, well, basically eBooks, uh, in all kinds of, uh, of stripes, uh, PDFs, EPUBs, Moby go down the list. Um, this is a funny thing. So, you know, it's not just what used to be because we we've covered this before over the years. I mean, you can't help, but do so you know, it used to be, we were just trying to strip DRM from Kindle books that we buy. Okay. Let's be abundantly clear here that we buy, not that I think you have to buy books, but that we buy and we do so basically for out of, I mean, you could call it paranoid if you want. I don't think so because we have justification for what we purchase owning it. Okay. Having continued access to it, right? Because we put the hard money down. But, you know, we have historical implication where Amazon would literally pull from your device. They would delete. It's not just that they, they wouldn't let you download it anymore. That too. But it's not just that they literally pull books from your app or from your Kindle device. Speaking of which, speaking of the app, give me a second here. Why? (laughs) On, on iOS, you can't even buy a Kindle book on iOS. 
why would they, why does the, the Kindle app on iOS constantly alert me to when like a new book comes out or they'll say, are you still interested in buying this? I mean, if you tell me a new books coming out, maybe it's because they think I'm a member of Kindle unlimited, which I'm not, but where you get access to so many books and a new book comes out, you get a, you quote unquote for free. I mean, really you're just renting it, but, um, uh, I don't get why they keep alerting me to, you know, do you still want to buy this book? Because I, I haven't found where I can even buy a Kindle book on, and I don't mean audible, I mean, Kindle, uh, on, you know, on, on an iOS device baffled anyway, doesn't matter. I don't know who's more stupid there, Amazon or Apple, or maybe they're both equally morons. And I would certainly argue that, um, but moving on. So yeah, there's a chance that you could lose your book and why wouldn't you want to keep access of it? I mean, it's not even a matter of necessarily even losing your book. Maybe it's not something one could argue that that's not nefarious. I would say it's inherently nefarious, but you know, it was copyright issues, but then also there's the, and, and I think this is a real problem, particularly with Kindle. Uh, I don't know what other book services do this, but I'm sure they do. And that is they will uh, put out revisions. And I know because I mean, I, I publish my books on Amazon as well, but they will put out revisions um, of books and your book will, and, and you can go into settings on Kindle apps and everything and say, don't auto update, alert me and so on. But basically your, these books can get edited and auto updated without you even realizing it. So like the copy of, I don't know, grand illusions or whatever the fuck you bought a couple of years ago might be very different now because it auto updated to version 1.05 of the book. Okay. Now in general, I mean, and even me personally, I like being able to, when I find a typo in my book, being able to update it on Amazon and having an auto update, you know, but not everybody I think comes with such honest intentions. I know of a book that is, uh, well, it gets called controversial. I just call it horseshit, but there is a book that's, uh, we'll say it's about evolutionary psychology. How about that? That's putting him that, that that's putting a, a science to something that <laughs> is not so scientific, but where this book has been updated many times over and it is constantly revising itself uh, because arguments are being made against it by myself as well, actually um, over the years. And so they just keep updating the same book and they play it off. Like they never said what they said in the past. Okay. Like maybe something they said about wolves where they found out, Oh shit, wolves are a bad example. So that's the problem here. Okay. And, and it's just another reason why you may want to strip DRM from something so that you could keep old copies that, you know, could really, there's a great episode of Stargate SG one about this, where a computer controls the access to all knowledge and basically the computer and, and there's a brain computer, there's a BCI, like where this, the species here has this, I've brought it up many times. The species on this planet, like are directly connected to their computer. But when the computer basically says somebody doesn't exist, um, then in that species and their, you know, in their brains, they, they, once the computer deletes it, it's deleted from their brains. I mean, it's an interesting analogy, you know, uh, to, to what I'm talking about here. Point being, again, there are a lot of reasons and I don't, I don't care about, <laughs> I really don't give a shit about what necessarily what's illegal, uh, you know, today when tomorrow may not be, um, I mean, boy, we could have a huge conversation around copyright law because it's completely out of hand. Even if I thought it was justified, 
you know, even if I thought IP law was somehow uh, justifiable, it, it's gotten just again, wildly, wildly out of hand. But anyway, there are plenty of, we'll say legitimate for all of you. There are plenty of legitimate reasons to why you want to strip DRM from eBooks that you get or PDFs that you get. Uh, now, something else that has become popular is watermarking PD, like not just putting the DRM that Amazon puts into their books. So that way you can't just convert them into EPUB away from AZW3 or whatever their new format is. Uh, but I mean, PDFs are getting into the game of watermarking and putting in other security features. And there's points where this makes some degree of sense. Uh, even in a conventional level, like say where governments are, you know, protecting password, protecting PDFs and doing other things like this. Um, but now you have like where Kickstarters and, uh, companies that sell PDFs like RPG PDFs and so on, uh, would have, you know, are watermarking them or, uh, you know, giving them some kind of identifying information that way they know who to blame if somehow their PDFs end up on a torrent site, right? And there's other reasons for this. So if you wanted to strip these things from a PDF, and that's basically what I got asked about, or if you wanted to strip the DRM from, uh, from EPUBs, um, I think it's time to have a little bit of an update on this conversation. Now, the only real, and, and look, I'm not like an expert at all on uh, watermark PDFs. You know, I'm not going to claim necessarily to be, I'll give you some tips, some directions to look in to where you could possibly do that. Um, but anyway, this is something where, especially with PDFs, because there is, there's no real, there's no really one company that is constantly forwarding the technical capabilities of EPUBs and Mobis because EPUBs are basically zip files, right? And zip files are, you know, that that's just been around forever and, and no one's really updating uh, those. Not really. Uh, it's where PDFs, you know, Adobe is very financially involved in the, the continued development of PDFs. And certainly with governments and things going more, even now, especially with COVID-19, things going more electronic and so on, you know, there's, there's big business there. Okay. So PDFs have some, have some, uh, there's some monetary incentives behind them as compared to, to other formats. Um, as far as, so the, the question I got was basically, how do we strip the watermarking? How do we strip the ID information and so on? Uh, the best software I've seen that can really try and do that is, and I've been messing with it a bit lately because I'm working on a book. Um, and that is Nitro PDF, which has a feature built into it. And this is not inexpensive software, but it has a feature built into it that will remove watermarking. Um, now I don't know, again, because it's such an arms race with PDFs and verification, I, I don't, I'm not going to say that I can hundred percent verify, you know, that, that somehow nitro PDF gets rid of any identifying information onto the PDF. In fact, I have a hard time imagining what software could make that 100% claim. So I'm putting that out there. Uh, I mean, someone would just basically have to test it, but then here's the problem, right? So maybe you don't even want to pay for nitro PDF, which, you know, <laughs> and you go to the public library as it were, and maybe you get a, you know, a, a, an older copy of it. And, uh, I don't know, maybe you, you do the old fashioned crack the XE, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I just, I would not feel comfortable 
you know, saying that, okay, that software is going to continually strip PDFs of, again, any DRM or identifying information or whatever, or watermarks going into the future. So that's a tough one. Okay. Now I get PDFs made of my books. I specifically make sure and request that no watermarking, no identifying information, at least as much as like where it would matter that I could go after somebody with it, um, you know, gets put on it because I get my books scanned to make them available to everyone else completely for free. Okay. And and they're not my books. They're books that other people have, you know, that have gone out of print or that are exceptionally rare. Um, In fact, I've got a book coming in uh, by Fred Allen Wolf that sells for about a thousand dollars on Amazon. And I am getting that motherfucker scanned. That baby's been out of print forever. And I would love to have Fred Allen Wolf (laughs) come after me about that. And because the conversations I would have with that, woo, woo, (laughs) that would be a hell of a thing. Um, but anyway, (laughs) so I do this regularly. Um, but I make sure again, that that none of that is there now, as far as, I mean, while we're talking about that, so that that's kind of my thoughts on, on removing this stuff from PDFs is that, I mean, really it's a little bit of roll the dice. Okay. Um, if somebody in the audience has better information or is even more informed about this sort of thing, please email the show, um, or message me on telegram or whatever. And, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Okay. And happy to even have you on, you know, if, if you really know your shit, um, but anyway, so with EPUBs, now this deserves a little bit of an update as well, or should I say with Kindle books? Um, again, we talked about all the reasons why you'd want to do this. You've got plenty of them. And I've found that the, the best, so there's two tricks to this affair. Okay. Because a couple of years ago, Amazon updated their formatting to, was it KFX was their new format. Now the whole reason that they do this, it's not formatting because, Oh, we're making our books more compressed and leaner or something like that. It is all about trying to stop people from making copies of their books. Of course, it's another arms race. Right. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, if you strip the DRM from an Amazon, from a Kindle book, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any real, like Amazon's not going to necessarily come after you because then you're not going to be a customer anymore. Right. I mean, they're still making money off of it. It's just something they basically have to do. Ultimately, I want to say they have to do it to, to appease investors. Okay. But regardless of that, um, the KFX format has been broken, but well, not, not exactly broken, but here, here's the rub. Okay. Whatever. There's a couple ways to go about this. If Calibre, which is a tremendous piece of software, which is for managing ebook libraries and converting ebooks, it's what I use to convert, um, you know, EPUBs to Mobi to put them on my, on my Kindle, uh, or vice versa, whatever. Okay. I use it all the time. They're up to version four and it's just brilliant software. It gets updated so often. Um, but they have plugins that you can put in that will strip, uh, the, the, the DRM, from Kindle books. Okay. But what you have to do is, and there's really no way to go about this without at the very least, you need to be running windows in in a virtual machine because you have to install an old version of, um, of the Kindle for PC software. Okay. Directly from Amazon. Uh, you have to install it's version 1.24, anything higher than 1.25. And you can't strip the DRM at this time. Maybe somebody will figure out how to go about it, but basically you can't. Now you can get 
copies of the XE of Kindle for PC version 1.24. And you can keep it from updating and it still works. The time may come where maybe, you know, Amazon will say, Hey, you have to update to version two or, you know, you're, you're screwed motherfucker. That time may come. And at that point, then I'm sure the arms race will pick up a bit more, but right now all the tricks involved basically center around you installing version 1.24 of Kindle for PC. And then you can either do it with the KFX plugin, uh, in, you know, in, in Calibre, or, uh, I found this great piece of software. Holy shit. Is this a good piece of software? Uh, I mean, very, you want to talk about user-friendly, this is the most user-friendly way to do it. And it's called EPUB or, okay. E P U B O R. I'll put a link in the show notes for it. Okay. But I started using EPUB or, uh, ultimate I'm using version 3.0.12. And basically what now, when you install this, it will go out and detect And this, this only works on windows uh, or they might have it for Mac as well. But anyway, they will go out and detect if you have Kindle for PC installed, if you do, it'll tell you, it'll go through the process, get you started on uninstalling the software. And then it will download from their servers. And there's a security concern to be had around this. I understand, but it will go through the process of getting you the XE for version 1.24. We'll install that. And then all you do is open up Kindle for PC, download the books that you want to strip the DRM from. And then EPUB or will, you know, there's a little hamburger menu on the left and you just click Kindle and actually works with Adobe and Kobo as well. I don't think it strips PDF. It might strip DRM from PDFs. I don't know if it's going to strip watermarking and things like that, but it works with other platforms. But if you click on the Kindle tab, it'll show you all the Kindle books that you've downloaded onto your system. And then you can just drag and drop them uh, to the right. And then they have, what do you want to convert it to? Do you want to convert it to EPUB? Do you want to convert it to Mobi? Do you want to convert it to AZW3, PDF, or text, you know, .txt? And it just does it all for you. And, and then you, you click the little folder on the right and pop it up. I mean, I, I am in, I'm in awe of this software. It is so slick uh, to, to go through this process of stripping DRM from, uh, from Kindle books. Uh, very impressed. So this is, this is definitely the, the, uh, the, the Cadillac way to go, <laughs> right? Um, it's not free. Well, that depends on how you look at it, but it's technically not free software. Um, but boy, does it do the fucking job? I mean, it, it works great. Uh, absolutely love it. So EPUB or is a great solution as far as that goes. So basically I'm recommending to you try out nitro PDF. Nitro PDF has a lot of great options for managing PDF files anyway, um, uh, doesn't really have great compression options, which, uh, I use, uh, NX power eight for that, but regardless, nitro PDF does, does a solid job. It can optimize PDFs a bit, but it doesn't really compress them, but it can get rid of those watermarks or can add them. If you're that kind of a person, maybe you're interested in that for some reason. Um, I mean, and I guess there could be some valid ones, but regardless, yeah, nitro PDF, but EPUB or. You don't have to install any plugins or anything like that. And again, it handles getting you the copy of version 1.24 of the Kindle for PC. I mean, it's really just a one-stop shop and I, I like it when you can do that. Uh, so check that out. If you want to be stripping, uh, you know, some, uh, some Kindle books and who knows, maybe you want to share them somewhere. There might be places like uh, sovereign tech telegram group where you might be interested in doing so. So anyway, that's it for, uh, for our questions uh, this week. We'll be right back. 
Hello, Sovereignati. As you know, Sovereign Tech proudly no longer puts content behind a paywall and makes thousands of hours and episodes available to you totally for free. But if you feel that stirring in your cockles or that special feeling in your heart, I beseech you, nay, I implore you to help the show out by donating. Frequenting our sponsors is key, but donations from listeners like you has always made the show go round and round. You can go to SovereignTech.com to set up an automatic monthly donation, or you can donate via the Bitcoin address in the show notes. And now you can even donate with the Cash app at Cash.app and use the money tag SovereignTech. So many ways to help out the show, and I'm honored by all of it, allowing us to build and be the future. Now, let's get back to the show. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. I like to think that this is the part of the show where we start to get, you know, we get to have fun. So I try to make it like the latter half of the show. It doesn't always end up being a half, but you know, these conversations, they take the shape that they take. Uh, so for the gaming grid. Wow. Um, yeah. Very excited. Like I said, at the top of the show to try out mortal Kombat 11 aftermath, um, I will be reviewing that, uh, here, you know, I didn't get into a review of, uh, the remake of Panzer Dragoon, or maybe I did talk about it briefly, but, um, they came out with some major, major revisions, uh, to the, uh, they've, they've had two major updates since it was released. What was that in April? Uh, and they, man, that game just gets better and better. Uh, such, such a gorgeous game. But anyway, uh, what I want to talk about is, well, we have a anniversary to celebrate. Uh, of course, all of us around the world, that being the, is it the 35th, which is hard to believe, but the 35th anniversary of none other than really the gaming icon, uh, that being Mario. Of course, I think it's also the 40th anniversary of Pac-Man. So that's certainly, I mean, the gaming icon as well. Uh, one has certainly held up better than, uh, than others, but I know some Pac-Man games are on sale, uh, all over the place. But while we could talk about Pac-Man, I think more interesting of what's going to happen, because it doesn't look like we're going to get a new Pac-Man game at least not one that's some mobile IAP sink your wallet into a horseshit. But um, there were some interesting rumors and things that have bolstered uh, those rumors that there are going to be this year in 2020, a lot of re-releases of, uh, of Mario games, classic Mario games on the Nintendo switch. Now we did get the announcement for a new paper Mario, which is coming out in July. Very excited for that. Actually real quick. There is it was, it was a site in Switzerland put up a, this, this happens a lot and sometimes it's BS. Okay. Uh, or it doesn't end up happening at all is what I mean. But the Metroid prime trilogy, uh, got a listing on a Swedish site that it was going to come out in mid June. I think it was Swedish. Anyway, 
that would be dynamite if that does come out. I, I am all over that. I remember having that on Wii, and that was just insane. Of course, we all want Metroid Prime 4. I'm sure that's that's on its way. Um, understandably, some development this year has been uh, on the slowed down side. Of course, like even, even some remakes, like uh, Episode 1 Racer got delayed. It was supposed to come out on May 12th. It did not. Uh, but this is, in my opinion, with Nintendo planning on putting out you know, so many Mario games and and the list is lengthy as far as what they might be re-releasing this year. I just think this is a smart move. Even if they did it for switch online, it, like they don't even have to sell them as full on remakes though. I think that would make sense. Um, again, very, very smart move. And I can't imagine that it's that hard. Um, we could have a conversation. I think we talked about in a previous gaming grid about the data leaks of like, say the source code for a lot of, uh, a lot of games and consoles themselves. There was another leak apparently for the, the source code for the 3DS and so on. Bottom line being the stuff, you know, and when people get a look at the code, they're like, well, this isn't that hard to do. In fact, even, you know, there was a claim, I think we talked about it, about the, there was the PC version that got released of Super Mario 64 that came out just after that, that leak happened of, uh, of the source code for the N64 hardware. And a lot of people wondered, it's like, well, like, were they able to pull this off because it's just that easy to port this shit to modern hardware as soon as you get a look at that code? Well, then again, I, you know, I don't think that Nintendo would really have a hard time doing this. Um, some of the games that that are listed off as far as coming back, Super Mario 64 is one of those re-releases that may be happening, uh, as well as Super Mario Sunshine and both Super Mario Galaxy games. Now, I'm going to lay out a couple things on you here quick. One, if you're going to, if you're going to port or remake, they're not going to do a remake, but, or we don't think they're going to do a remake, but a re-release. Okay. So you're porting. If you're going to port Mario 64, I don't think, I don't think enough people remember, and I don't know why their memories are so short. I don't think enough people remember Super Mario 64 DS, which was already a remake of Mario 64. And it was a far superior one more characters. I mean, there's just, there was so much added to the game. It's brilliant. One of the reasons I still have a 3DS is to play a lot of the DS remakes or DS sequels like Yoshi's Island DS and so on that we got, uh, or even uh, a game that's actually available on switch online and is also on the uh, SNES mini is a uh, uh, Kirby superstar. Now you have Kirby superstar ultra deluxe, whatever on DS, which I have, I mean, and like that, that there's so much added to the game. You know, I never bothered to play it on my uh, SNES mini or on, um, you know, on switch online because I know how much it's, it's missing. So, and this gets into the conversation around to some degree, speaking of mini consoles around like, why didn't the N64 mini happen a year after the SNES mini happened? Kind of like what happened with the NES mini and the SNES mini. Well, I mean, this might point at why, because a lot of N64 games will be coming to switch online and they basically want you to buy switch online. I don't know that that necessarily holds water. I can imagine investors think that way, but I don't think they understand Nintendo fans. They will buy a, you know, they'll, they'll buy an N64 mini and also play the games on switch online. They really will. But that said, I mean, you have so, you know, speaking of remakes, Star Fox 64, Zelda 64, or, you know, uh, uh, Ocarina of Time 64, Majora's Mask 64, I should say, 
Um, you have a lot of games from the N64 that have been over the years re-released and more or less fully remade or significantly added to on the DS and the 3DS. Why you'd want the inferior N64 versions of these games, again, I get it. Nintendo fans will just do that out of nostalgia, okay? But no, you know, so I'm not excited about Super Mario 64 getting re-released unless they're going to do the DS version, quite frankly, because it was just, it was far, far better. The camera was better. I mean, there, there was so many nice, uh, just little improvements, but also some major ones. Um, so I think that they're, they're going to lose out if, if, if they don't go that direction. Um, but there are some, some other, you know, getting uh, Super Mario Sunshine. I mean, one of the reasons I still have a GameCube right here in the studio to my right. Um, in fact, there's pictures of the studio in the Telegram group where you can see them. Um, one of the reasons that I have that is literally so I could play Super Mario Sunshine. Um, I mean, the other reasons include Skies of Arcadia Legends and uh, the Rogue Squadron games for GameCube. But Super Mario Sunshine is a big part of that. Now, if that's going to end up getting, you know, re-released on Switch, I'm there. That, that I think that, and actually, if they want to improve the camera a little bit on that one, I'm also there. Uh, getting the Super Mario Galaxy games, two of the best games ever made. Of course, that makes tons, a ton of sense to get them re-released on, uh, you know, on, on Switch. And I think they were talking about Super Mario 3D World as well, which I never got to play that. That was a Wii U game, um, right? Anyway, I didn't play that. I think that'd be worthwhile as well. So that's pretty exciting. And again, I don't think it's that hard to port these over. And when you're running on, you know, limited team engagement due to quarantine or whatever else right now, anyway, I just think it's a smart move to go ahead and, and re-release all of these games. Now, the inevitable cry from a lot of people would be, I mean, because granted, a lot of these games I actually have in physical format, but I don't, that's... <laughs> There's an argument for physical when we're talking about the fact that you got the complete game on a disc and there are no updates to it. Okay. I am, I'm sure you're going to hear people beg for, can we get physical editions of these Nintendo please? And Nintendo would probably do it. Um, even though they're clubhouse games, I don't, I don't know if they're doing a digital of that or not, but anyway, I, I really, with the Nintendo switch, You've, you've, people have got, I want, in fact, email me questions at sovereigntech.com. I want to hear your arguments for on modern consoles on the present generation, PS4, Xbox, Switch, and even 3DS. Why do you, what is the big deal about having physical? Now, if it's a physical game where the, the developer comes right out and says, we will no longer put out any DLC and we will no longer put out any updates to the game. And every, every update we've ever done, all the DLC we've ever done is on the cartridge. Then I could understand you possibly wanting a physical game. Okay. Uh, I appreciate that. Like, you know, having a physical copy of the game allows you to have access to it. And I guess all of its updates or whatever, though, I suppose not necessarily the DLC, cause you have to buy that through the eShop, um, you know, on whatever console you pop it into. But so a big thing coming out in the next week is you have the major releases of what is it? The XCOM two collection. You have the Bioshock trilogy, the remastered trilogy, and you have the borderlands. Oh, I don't know what all is coming with borderlands, but I did catch a, cause the, and the, really the only one, I mean, XCOM is great, but like Bioshock, I'm certainly interested in, but they, they came out and said that 
even if you buy the physical copy of the Bioshock trilogy for Switch, you're going to have to install 31 gigabytes. You're going to have to download 31, not just since, I mean, it's installing, but you're going to have to download 31 gigabytes. Even if you have the physical, what the fuck is to play the games? You understand to turn them on. You've got to explain to me what the, what the point is, why you're so hot and bothered about having physical. If it's just to make your shelves pretty, tell me that. But this is, and look, I, I love the idea of having physical. I love the idea of having, you know, because these servers can get shut down someday, but you can't say this is why I buy physical on the switch because you're worried the servers are going to get shut down someday when you still have to download 31 gigabytes (laughs) to, to play the game. I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I want somebody to, to just run it by me. Why? You know, and I look and I look online and all the reasons that I see online are, are nonsensical other than I just like my shelves looking pretty. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. But there is no, and, and, and I want people to think about this because I want you to consider that. Yeah. And think about it, which I've talked about for years on the show, having games being digital only in the future, you know, as soon as any of these stores shut down, you're shit out of luck. You're never going to play that game again, unless somebody re-releases again. And even that, that turns into a whole vicious cycle. So lay it out for me, email me about it. But I, I mean, I can't believe that 31 gig. And, and I mean, that's another thing too. Holy hell. Like I have, I think I have a 256 gig, uh, micro SD card in my, in my switch. And even just putting Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 11 aftermath, that's a, that was a 14 gig update that <laughs> I think I had to delete final fantasy nine or something off of it. Just so that I could have that installed with other games that, that runs into a whole, whole other conversation, um, and issue. And one that I want to have, because I think there's a conversation that needs to be had around the shelf life of the Nintendo switch specifically with, you know, so much news about the new Xbox and the PS five coming down the line, but we'll save that for another conversation. I'll be right back with some more sovereign tech game over journey into the far reaches of aqua space. Attention security. Brace for impact. Seal out of doors. Break for collision. Launch From Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Inc. and Universal Television comes a journey into the future and beneath the sea. Roy Scheider stars in Sequest DSV. You can watch Sequest by downloading it from your favorite torrent site or getting it on glorious DVD. For beneath the surface lies the future. Album of the week. Got a great album of the week here for you. In fact, one that I didn't plan on. I'd never heard of it before, and it's from 1989. I am baffled. Uh, in fact, the review I read for this album from where I got it uh, basically said, and, and I agree with them as time goes on, I'm learning this more is that there was a, an amazing amount of albums that came out, particularly in the year 1989, but basically from 89 to 91, that a lot of people had never even heard of because they didn't have any real staying power 
because the musical landscape, especially as far as rock goes and metal was changing so dramatically. Right. So with that in mind, I mean, like there are just, there were so many things we just never really heard about, never necessarily got radio play because the shift was happening there within top 40 and so on. But these are brilliant albums and the music was really hitting well, no pun intended, but hitting the high notes at this point, you know, you got to such like such great precision playing and people want to say that it's formulaic. Yeah, but it was a damn good formula. <laughs> I mean, really like, and I, I know I get shit for this all the time. I mean, I'm a huge winger fan. Okay. I mean, I really, really am. And, and to this day, they're still making some of the best music in the world. And they were very much the epitome of that sound. I mean, and, and it's just, you know, again, that precision and just that feel, they knew exactly how to translate an emotion with a guitar. You know, I mean, I can appreciate a raw guitar as the next, as much as the next person, no doubt about it. Okay. And there's time and place, right. For that. But like to be able to emote, not just rawness, but like exactly what you're trying to get out there through guitar. I mean, people pulled this off. Um, and to say nothing of the fact that AOR was also at the top of its game at this point, some people would argue the early eighties was the best time for AOR, but I think even in the later, you started to get this mixture of genres of, of almost like, a, you know, a melodic rock, right. Which was like AOR and a bit of metal, uh, added in, um, there is a band called Melidian. M E L I D I A N. It's in the show notes. So you can find it. It's Melidian. And they came out with an album in 1989 called lost in the wild. Nice, simple nine track album. And it's brilliant. It's genius. It's beautiful. It is in a rare category. I mean, I definitely get the AOR influence, but there's parts of it. that almost kind of sound like rat, but it, it's really, really sexy. And it's a, it's a kind of, it's a kind of, you know, melodic rock that I don't often there's some bands that fall into the category like danger, danger who are, and, and I would put winger there perhaps as well that are really at the top, you know, or even like a white snake, uh, you know, eighties white snake, uh, or later eighties white snake where I, you know, I just, that's my favorite outside of soundtracks. That's like my favorite music. Um, it, really, really impressive stuff. So you got to check out this album again. It's from 1989. Now rock candy did a remaster of it. And so it sounds really, really fresh today. I think they did the remaster just last year in 2019, but it opens up with, with a song called ready to rock. And I mean, you're just that as soon as you hear it and you can go through every song. There's a couple ballads here and that's fine, but you can go through all nine tracks. And I mean, you're just in for a great time. I had Ellen listen to it. She loved it. I mean, it's just, it's a dynamite dynamite album. Uh, so from Melidian lost in the wild, you got to check this. This is a, Talk about lost. It is. It got lost in the wild, uh, unfortunately, because that bullshit Nirvana and whatever grunge crap came out. This is the good stuff. Check it out, Lydian. You're gonna love it. I guarantee it. I'll be back with more. Hey, baby. I know. I know. You are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail. Okay, it's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Hey, 
the golden stallion doing whatever he wants to do. The Climax So, going to end the show off with a question. Um, I want to put it to you. You know, I, I, you have avenues where you can ask me questions. And basically, I, I think there's ways I'd like to, imp- to enhance that experience. Um, or, you know, give you, the Sovereign Tech listener, a real chance for your voice to be heard. And what I'm thinking about, and basically in the Telegram group, you know, I know not everybody's there. I mean, the thousands and thousands of you. I know you're not all on Telegram. You're not all following me on Twitter. Okay. Um, you all have my email address, so you can get in touch with me that way, or you can talk about it in Twitter if you want. But basically what I want to know is, would you be interested in, would you make use? Because before I go through the process of setting all this up, okay, would you make use of, if I had a, not a call in line where you could call in, like say with free talk live, right. But where you could leave a voice message asking your question or bringing up your point and then I could play it in the show. I would really like to do this. Now, I know a lot of people want me to do like my live shows where I do, you know, more of a free form Q and a, and people can jump on and talk and we can have a back and forth. And I will get back into that at some point. Okay. We will do those and they won't be behind a paywall anymore. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I had so much fun doing those and I know you, the listeners did as well, but basically I want to put it to you. Okay. That, you know, just, just, shoot me an email. You can DM me on Twitter. You can at me on Twitter. You can hit me up on telegram in the group, whatever. Okay. And I basically want to know, you know, would you be interested in interacting with the show by say, leaving a voicemail? Um, and even, you know, frankly, I mean, this could open up a lot of options. Okay. Because I know you listeners, you are cut from a different cloth. That's for damn sure. Okay. But you're also brilliant. I know all of these things about you, even though I don't know all of your names and don't, you know, (laughs) all I really want to know is that you are cut from a different cloth and that you're brilliant. And I want to give you the opportunity for your voice to be heard. Okay. So what this could allow for as well is that if you wanted to, like, if you had a really hot tip that you came up with, um, like for example, earlier when we were talking about how to, uh, you know, strip DRM from eBooks and so on, if you had another process that you wanted to go through, why have me just regurgitate, you know, re- repeat your words? I don't want to say regurgitate like it's a negative thing, but, you know, just repeat what you're saying. How about you could call in and you could say it yourself, okay? And you could leave me the voicemail with it. Um, I mean, frankly, you know, it could go so far, even if you don't want to call into that number, you could just as easily drop me a WAV file or an MP3 file, right, on Telegram with with whatever you wanted to, you know, to kind of get out there. I mean, and of course, I would qualify it first, but... I would be really interested in doing that any way that I could get you, the listeners, you brilliant people. Okay. Who are covering. And I mean, I know because I see just in the telegram group, the shit. And I mean, the, the great information that you share with each other, the great tips that you share with each other, um, the great conversations that are being had, the stories you make me aware of and so on. I'm happy to go over all of it and talk about it. But like, if I could get it in your own voice, I mean, I think that would just be absolutely dynamite. Like if, if Steve Gibson had something like this set up, okay. Uh, where I could call in, you know, and have my voice heard and hear him like respond to what I had to say, because admittedly, some of us, you know, are better talkers than, than writers or vice versa, or some of us are good at both. Sure. But 
regardless, like I, I think that this is a great avenue where you could be heard, where there could be some interaction and where other listeners can hear that other listeners, you know, that you're very real people. And I think that that's an important thing in whatever way that we can, that that can be done right now. Just hearing my voice for going for two hours. I mean, I can't stand hearing my own voice for, you know, for two hours. So <laughs> you'd almost be doing me a favor here as well. But I think that that would be, I think that'd be something that's a lot of fun. Basically, probably, I'd probably set up something like with Skype where, or, or some other software where you could just call into a phone number and you could leave your message. And then I would just, you know, I would download that and use it uh, in the show. Um, yeah, I, I just think it would be a lot of fun. So email me. You can email me questions at SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. Okay. And let me know if you think that that's a great idea or hit me the other ways. Like I said, Twitter, Telegram. And if I find that, uh, you know, there's enough groundswell around the concept, I'm going to set it up. I think that'd be, I think it'd be so much fun uh, really to do. So, and then in the future, we'll see about having our, our live shows again. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Sovereign Tech. I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech. And Osiris One Production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>